Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. Welcome to the Heal Thy Skin podcast. If you do a quick Google search of how many skin conditions exist, it's a few thousand, and they can affect people from all walks of life, from the most common to the rarest of the rare. Some are a born skin condition, some develop, and others are acquired instantly following a skin trauma or injury. Some skin conditions have no cure, so living with them is an ongoing learning experience for patients and families. And I'm very excited to announce for the first time in the Heal Thy Skin podcast, we will be opening our space to a very special collaboration series called the A to Z of Skin Conditions. The A to Z of Skin Conditions special series is hosted by Dr. Anika Smith, board certified dermatologist, and it features skin experts from all around the globe to give insights on everything we need to know in skin anatomy and skin conditions from A to Z. These episodes will be dropping periodically, so make sure you tune in to every single episode so you don't miss one. This is episode number one of the A to Z podcast series. The aim of the A to Z series is to provide you bite-sized pieces of dermatology wisdom shared by leaders in their field in order to educate, dispel myths, and encourage greater understanding about all things to do with the skin. Today we will be taking a short, sharp and focused insight into acne with five key questions to be answered by our acne expert. This podcast presents information of a general nature and the opinions of the presenters and does not constitute formal medical review or advice. Please see your local doctor or dermatologist if you have any concerns about your skin or general health. Welcome, Justine. It's an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest on the podcast to talk about all things to do with acne. Before we get started, can you tell us what you put on your skin this morning? I certainly can. Um, So it's super simple. I started off with cleansing. So I started with that. I followed with my antioxidant serum and then a bit of moisturizer. And then I followed that with sunscreen. So that was my morning skincare routine before heading out into the absolute freezing cold. It's, it's been minus five uh, today. So, oh my goodness. Um, but I'm so pleased that the sunscreen still got a, uh, still got a mention despite the minus, minus five. Brilliant. Every day. Every day. That's what I like to hear. Can you tell us what it is you like most about the skin? So I've always been fascinated about the skin. I had acne um, in my uh, teenage years, and so I was interested in my own skin. um, And this led on to an interest in other people's skin. And uh, the thing I love most about dermatology is the variety and the diversity. No two days in dermatology are the same. In fact, no two patients in clinic are ever the same. Uh, We see patients from uh, the very first days of their lives to the very last Um, We do surgery as well as medical consults and some of us do cosmetic work. Um, 
And I, I find it completely fascinating. And um, I have been thinking about this a lot because uh, it was International Women in Science Day in the UK today. I guess it was uh, it was yours yesterday. Um, and I was asked what, what I like about dermatology. And I was thinking our careers are so long these days that having um, that variety, uh, I think, is what motivates me to um, to keep keep going, uh, I guess. And I think will keep me motivated for the rest of my career. I hope so anyway. I completely agree. Variety is definitely key. Now, we first met at St. John's Institute of Derm in the UK some years ago now, and it's really been lovely to watch your your evolution and see you establish yourself as an expert in the acne space. Your interest in this area relates to your own personal experience with acne. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, I certainly can. And thank you for your very kind uh, kind words. And it's lovely to reconnect after all these years. Time time flies. Um I guess I didn't really realize I had an I had acne, and I'm sort of doing inverted commas uh, um, next to my head uh, while I'm saying this. Um, I had I had spots. Um, I remember my mum taking me to see a dermatologist actually for something completely unrelated. I had a mole on my shoulder. We're South Africans. We're also very um, uh, mindful of um, skin cancer. Uh, um, you know, coming from that sunny climate. So my mom took me to see the dermatologist. And as we walked through the door, pretty much, um, he said, well, never mind the mole. What are you doing about her acne to my mom? And I was like, oh, I have acne. Um, but, you know, after the sort of initial shock, I actually was pretty pleased he brought it up because I guess it had really been bothering me. And I guess I mentioned it to my parents and, you know, my dad had had acne and said, oh, you know, you'll, you'll grow out of it. Don't worry about it. My dad's actually got pretty bad acne scars. So um, I was actually really pleased that someone had acknowledged that this was going on um, and actually wanted to offer me a solution for it. Um, and it got better with treatment and, you know, then got worse again when I came off treatment and then got better again. And I found ways to manage it over the years. Um, and I felt really... I guess, empowered by having things that I could do to make my skin better, make me feel better about myself. And that's really where my uh, desire to help others with acne um, uh, came from, because, um, you know, mine wasn't even particularly severe, but it still really affected my Mm self-esteem and my body image. Um, And um, I feel really pleased to be able to help people who... um, are struggling with similar things uh, these days. Um, There are lots of um, skin conditions um, uh, that I was interested in, but I think acne has always sort of struck a personal note um, for the reasons I just described. Yeah, and as you say, having struggled yourself with acne, no doubt gives you a heightened affinity for the condition and empathy for the the plight of those that, that suffer with it. I think I think that's right. Uh, and I think people also like to know that your doctor understands you, um, that they've been through similar. Actually, it's really interesting. A load of uh, patients will say, oh, I, I you know, saw you talk about, you know, having acne yourself or I read um, your blog and you said that you'd had acne. And I really wanted to go to someone who would had it as well. And the thing that I find really interesting about that is, you know, figures show that 85 percent or more of us suffer from acne at some point in our lives. So actually, most doctors have had acne. Mm. Um, but what's interesting is that a lot of patients don't find that their doctor is able to show that empathy. Um, so I hope that, um, that that that's something that I, that I can provide and that there's some comfort in knowing that, um, you know, I've been through this before and I'll do what I can to help you. 
I have no doubt. Now, it's time to get down to business and fire some commonly asked acne questions your way. Let's start off with the basics. Can you tell us in simple terms, what is acne and and why does it happen? Acne is a common inflammatory skin condition. Um, I said before, it affects around 85% or so um, uh, of us during our lifetimes usually starts in the teenage years around the time of puberty and it's most common in the teens and 20s. Although it's not just a teenage condition, which is what a lot of us uh, believe and then sort of feel frustrated or confused when it continues into into the adult years, um, figures show that somewhere around 10 to 15 percent of us, particularly women, uh, continue to have acne um, after the age of 25. Um, Adult men can also have acne, but it seems that women are more likely to be affected than men uh, once you get past the teens and early 20s. Um, What causes it? Um, In very simple terms, it's caused by um, abnormal or excess oil production um, by glands called the sebaceous glands in the skin, basically the oil producing glands, and also a thickening of the lining of our pores with uh, mature or dead skin cells. And the oil and the dead skin cells mix and they block the pores. um, And this triggers a cascade of inflammation, um, uh, which leads to uh, blackheads. uh, We call those comedones. uh, as you know, um, and also pus-filled spots, uh, which we call pustules, red bumps, red inflamed bumps, papules, um, and then um, more uh, sort of large, tender, deep swellings in the skin known as nodules or cysts, which um, are, are generally considered to be a more severe type of acne um, uh, and more likely to leave scarring. Although any of those, any of those types of acne can indeed leave, uh, leave scars or marks on the skin. Um, I think we'll talk about the uh, some of the factors that contribute to uh, to acne uh, shortly. But you know, broadly speaking, um, a common condition that starts in the teens uh, due to a mix of the oil in the dead skin cells and and bacteria um, uh, uh, on the skin as well. Brilliant. Now you mentioned adult acne, and we know, as you said, in some cases it may persist through to adult life. Uh, in some cases, it may start, you know, de novo in adult life. And you know, up to ten to twenty percent of women will have adult acne. Can you tell us a little bit about that entity, adult acne, and and why it happens? No doubt, it's troubling for people who have persistent acne or develop it for the first time in their adult life, and they're often bewildered as to why them and why on earth it's happened. Yeah, I think that's really, it is, it is really interesting. Um, I have a bunch of patients who'll come to me and say, I had acne since my teens. And then there are those who come in their sort of thirties or forties and say, you know, what's going on here? I've I've got it for the first time now. I I might always have clear skin is usually how the story starts. Um, I wish I could say there was one cause. Um, but, um, you know, as you know, it's usually a combination of different factors contributing uh, together. Um, I think the first thing to say is there's often a genetic predisposition. So if you have um, uh, a parent uh, or both parents who've had acne, then you'll be more likely to get it. Um, uh, Also, if your acne starts really early in life, it may also end up being more more persistent. Um, Hormones. Okay, big big one here. People often ask me, what is, you know, what is hormonal acne as, you know, as a, as in you know is it a separate entity and i kind of say all all acne is hormonal 
Absolutely. Um, It's no surprise it often starts in the teenage years because our hormones change during puberty, testosterone surges, etc. But uh, but in adult women, um, we get that that sort of testosterone surge, if you like, just before our periods each month. Um, uh, So our our androgen levels, the the name of the group of hormones uh, to which testosterone belongs, uh, are are highest um, uh, just before we get our period. So that's often why people break out, women break out just around their period. And then about one in 10 um, uh, women of reproductive age will have a, a true underlying um, uh, hormonal condition and polycystic ovarian syndrome is the most common one. Um, it's characterized by things like irregular periods um, uh, and high testosterone levels on a blood test cysts on the ovaries and acne can be a manifestation of, of, of the high testosterone levels. What's really interesting is pretty much every adult woman who comes to see me is convinced they have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And actually, you know, although it's very common, and I say one in 10 women of reproductive age have it, nine in 10 don't. So what's going on for those women? Well, um, it's thought that although the testosterone levels are normal in those women, um, the receptors for the testosterone in the skin are hypersensitive. So even if, even if you have normal circulating levels of testosterone, when it communicates with the skin, there's an exaggerated response and that leads to increased oiliness and increased congestion, pore blocking, etc. So hormones you know, are, are, are certainly relevant. Um, and then some of the other things that can contribute uh, will be lifestyle things. So skincare habits and practices, diet, which is uh, the first thing everyone asks as soon as they um, come into the room um, and stress, uh, which is always an annoying thing to say to people because um, it suggests that if you manage your own stress levels, you should be able to control your spots. And it's not just as simple as that. And, and of course, having having spots, particularly having severe spots or persistent spots increases one's stress levels, but nonetheless, it can contribute too. So those are the sort of, those are my sort of headline categories, genes, hormones, diet, skincare, stress. Beautiful. Adult acne, sometimes in terms of the way it presents, particularly if there's a, a strong hormonal element, may have a lower third of face predominance. Are there any other clues as, as opposed to teenage acne in terms of presentation that may, may indicate that the acne has a, a, a more strongly hormonal flavour? As you say, I agree, all acne does have a hormonal element. And a lot of women will notice a perimenstrual or premenstrual exacerbation. Uh it's interesting. I, I've always sort of worked on the um, premise that um, teenage acne is this sort of T zone, so forehead, nose, and chin, uh, and um, adult female acne is the sides, as you say, the lower third of the face, the sides of the cheeks, the jawline, the chin. Uh, the front of the neck, that sort of area. I read a paper really recently that said, actually, there's no evidence that the pattern should be different between teens or or adults. Um, But certainly my own experience is that that, uh, sort of distinction seems to be true. Um, um, Most of my teenage patients present with a sort of forehead full of uh, comedones and and pustules, and my uh, adult patients usually chin and jawline. So that, so as you say, that's one uh, clue. I think the other things that um, that might be different uh, if there is a condition like polycystic ovarian syndrome um, for for adult acne, it might be other things that that women notice, like um, sort of thick or coarse hairs on on the chin or jawline, thinning of the of the um, hair on the scalp, which we call uh, female pattern hair loss or, or androgenetic alopecia. Um, so those are some of the other things uh, to look for. 
I'm not sure I see any other sort of clinical markers that would make acne different in in uh, in, in adults than than teens. I agree. There's um there's a lot of overlap in terms of clinical presentation. Um, now I'd like to move on to if you're happy to treatment approaches for acne. Um, in terms of general skincare measures for, for acne sufferers, we know that in terms of a skincare regimen, uh, keeping things simple and keeping things consistent, certainly key. Uh, are there any other recommendations for general skincare approaches or ingredients one should look for in over-the-counter uh, products for their acne? Yes, I think you mentioned the two things that I'm always very clear on is, is simple and consistent. So um, my general advice is to keep the basic elements of the skincare plan um, uh, super simple and then basically build everything around being able to tolerate the topical uh, or oral treatment uh, that is being used um, uh, to control the acne. So let's say um, uh, we're talking about uh, topical uh, prescriptions. I don't know if you want me to talk about these in detail, but let's say I was using a uh, prescribing a retinoid cream, a vitamin A based cream, um, which I think complements almost every uh, uh, a set of prescriptions for acne. Okay, so um, these are commonly uh, drying, irritating, can make the skin red, particularly when you first start to use them. So the re- having the rest of the skincare plan as simple and gentle as possible can help one to tolerate um, this sort of product better. So my usual approach would be, let's say, um, if we look at morning first, gentle cleanser. Um, I like a milk or a gel cleanser. Um, some people like foaming cleansers for acne. I find that they can sometimes be a bit drying. And then if you're using prescription treatment, which can be drying too, you can end up swinging a little bit too far the other way and having sort of dry, irritated skin as well as spots, which no one wants. They lose confidence in the doctor pretty quickly. So a gentle cream or gel cleanser I find is tolerated well by most skin uh, skin types. Rinsing that off with warm water or wiping off with a soft wet flannel or cotton pads or bamboo pads or whichever environmentally friendly option uh, people choose to use, which is commendable. Um, I don't uh, go in for um, uh, physical scrubs or or, or, um, fancy cleansing uh, brushes or devices. Um, um, Just, as I say, something soft and abrasive, dabbing the skin dry gently after that. Um, potentially a prescription cream uh, in the morning um, and then uh, moisturizer and um, sunscreen. Uh, people often say to me, oh, sunscreen, even in winter. Um, so we don't have the same climate as you, but yes, I do still advocate using sunscreen in winter. And um, the reason is the UV levels aren't going to be nothing. They're still going to be present, although at, at lower levels. But um, uh, one of the problems with acne is that it can leave these marks on the skin afterwards. Um, we call that post-inflammatory pigmentation or post-inflammatory erythema, which is another word for redness. Um, and and um, uh, protecting the skin in the sun is one of the best ways to help these to fade. Okay, so I I um, always uh, advocate using uh, sunscreen. Uh, quite apart from the um, skin cancer prevention benefits uh, uh, to help to reduce um, uh, post-inflammatory changes from from acne. Um, So uh, an SPF uh, 50, ideally. Um, I'm also often recommending sunscreens these days that contain iron oxides for people who have um, uh, post-inflammatory pigmentation because there seems to be some evidence that um, visible light, which is different from UV light, um, can uh, exacerbate uh, the post-inflammatory pigmentation. So iron oxide um, often contained in tinted uh, sunscreens um, uh, um, 
recent studies suggesting that these might be, be better um, for reducing the post-inflammatory pigmentation. Anyway, so that, that would sort of be morning routine. And then in the evening, removal of makeup. I like a micellar water for that. A couple of brands we have in the UK that are um, uh, uh, really nice for, for sensitive skin. And I tend to, to suggest products for sensitive skin because, again, the skin can become irritated from the acne treatment. Uh, follow that with a gel or cream cleanser, then um, something like a retinoid cream. Um, and then uh, I usually suggest leaving it 15 minutes or so to soak in and then applying a moisturizer after that. And people do often say, oh, really, I need to use a moisturizer as well, but my skin feels fine immediately after. And I say, yes, you do need to use a moisturizer as well, because that'll help you to tolerate your prescription cream better in the long run. Um, so that's a sort of general overview of how the skincare routine might look i can talk to you about did you ask me about active ingredients what one might incorporate yeah that was very comprehensive i'm happy for you to mention some acne ingredients often people will say look if i'm looking for something over the counter and they have mild acne they want to know what ingredients or buzzwords should they be looking for to address their skin issues yeah so if you're seeing a dermatologist, they might recommend a retinoid cream, which is what uh, which is what I mentioned beforehand. And um, if you're not seeing a doctor and you're looking um, online or um, or over the counter in, in um, the pharmacy, the sort of things that you could look for would be um, benzoyl peroxide. Um, so that would be one often comes in uh, in a gel. So that could be used after cleansing and before moisturizing, um, actually morning or evening. Um Azaleic acid is another good one. Um, so uh, it's available in prescription strength, but it's also available in, in certain over-the-counter formulations. Uh, niacinamide is another one um, that uh, that's uh, good over-the-counter. Also um, thought to decrease oiliness of the skin and also help with um, post-inflammatory pigmentation. So that would be uh, another nice one uh, to think about. Salicylic acid is another one, uh, or also called beta-hydroxy acid. Um, good for oiliness, blackheads, um, uh, and ac uh, other forms of acne, um, and um, potentially alpha hydroxy acids as well, things like glycolic acid uh, can be helpful. It wouldn't be my top one, um, uh, but um, some people find, find um, uh, it to be uh, quite helpful. Um, retinol, I wouldn't use for treating acne. So people often think because it's a retinoid, um, uh, like a lot of the acne treatments are, that retinol should be helpful for acne. Um, but um, it's more of a sort of anti-aging ingredient, I would say. Um, so we'd use that for uh, preventing your dark spots and wrinkles. Um, there's some evidence that retinaldehyde, which is an over-the-counter uh, retinoid, um, uh, also used for anti-aging, may have some anti-acne benefits. And so um, if you were to choose an over-the-counter retinoid, retinaldehyde is the one I would go for. I think that's particularly helpful information. When it comes to medical treatments, as you, as you said, if someone does see a GP or a dermatologist for um, moderate to severe acne or acne of any severity that, that requires medical input, we've got a range of options available to us. You've mentioned some of the topical options, topical prescription retinoid, topical antibiotics. And then in the systemic realm, we've got oral antibiotics, isotretinoin, oroaccutane, and some of the hormonal approaches in terms of the combined oral contraceptive pill and spironolactone. I mean, broadly speaking, in terms of evidence-based efficacy for these agents and, you know, what determines which agent is used, can you speak speak briefly, and I know that's a big question, but briefly to, to that? Yeah, so um, 
I can sort of give you the framework I use for deciding which is the, which treatment I might go for first. And obviously, it depends on that patient's you know own medical history because previous treatment and other medical conditions uh, will uh, will um, will influence the decision. But broadly speaking, if someone presents with mainly comedonal acne, so mainly blackheads, I will probably use topical treatment, and a retinoid would probably be my uh, top one, uh, maybe benzoyl peroxide. If someone has inflammatory acne, so by that I mean the red bumps or the pustules as the predominant lesion, uh, and there's more than one or two, so there's quite a few, I will probably use an oral antibiotic first line, but I would pretty much always combine that with uh, a topical retinoid, possibly also with azelaic acid, so maybe the retinoid in the evening, the azelaic acid in the morning. Um, I find I'm doing that a little bit less um, um, than I was maybe, I was going to say 10 years ago. I'm now thinking, was I a dermatologist 10 years ago? <laughs> I think I was actually. Um, so I'm, I think I'm using antibiotics less and less over time. Um, and that's because I'm probably using spironolactone uh, more. I, I, I don't think I used it at the beginning of my dermatology career. Um, but um, but antibiotics, I think, largely speaking, still be first line. Um if someone has had antibiotics for that sort of inflammatory acne and it hasn't gone away or it's um, or it's gone away and then come back again, I might consider isotretinoin at that point, particularly if there are um, there is evidence of scarring uh, on the skin. Um, so if, if sort of first line oral therapy has failed, there's scarring on the skin, it's affecting um, uh, self-esteem, uh, causing psychological distress, then isotretinoin is, is probably my go-to. Um, the contraceptive pill is an interesting one. I don't know if you have the same experience or maybe, you know, maybe women are, this, uh, are, are similar wherever we are. A lot of patients are resistant to taking the combined oral contraceptive pill for their acne, even though it's a really effective treatment. And I think there's a sort of feeling that it might just be suppressing the problem um, and that um, it'll come back again after. Um, I think this is interesting because we don't actually have a cure for acne, although isotretinoin is extremely effective and um, uh, uh, people often think of it as being a cure. We don't have a cure for acne. Um, and, and in many cases, it is a sort of long-term condition. So um, taking a medication that works on a long-term basis, I don't think is something anyone needs to be afraid of. And the, the pill can work very well. It's a safe medication. It's one of the most prescribed medications in the world. Um, but people don't like the idea of their hormones being manipulated, I think, is, is another thing. So I, I think I would use it more, but people are reluctant to, reluctant to take it. Um, spironolactone, uh, where would I use that? Um, again, usually second line. So if, if uh, um, there's that inflammatory acne, hasn't got better with the oral antibiotics and, and the, uh, the topical therapy, uh, I might suggest spironolactone particularly if the patient, um, maybe the acne is not severe enough for isotretinoin, or maybe the patient can't take isotretinoin for one reason or another, or all for those whose acne has come back after isotretinoin. So that's where I, I would, might use spironolactone. Um, for nodular and cystic acne, usually I would offer isotretinoin pretty early on. Um, I want to get the acne under control as soon as possible, reduce the risk of permanent scars, reduce the psychological distress. Um, so, that's sort of usually the way I would approach it. 
I think you raise an interesting point. Sometimes, for whatever reason, um, there are patients that are not keen on pursuing oral antibiotics, isotretinoin for that matter, or even some of the hormonal therapies. What is your approach there? Because clearly it can be tricky to manage when there's a resistance to the, the, the typical tried approaches. I think that we're not strangers to this in dermatology um we are we are also the specialty who prescribes uh topical steroids uh, another thing that uh, that uh people uh uh feel, feel nervous or uncomfortable about so um i think we're used to having to explain the role of these different treatments and how they can be helpful um my my feeling is i start every um treatment discussion with going through the different causes of acne. Um, and I explain that um, it's not there's, that there's one single thing that we can just sort of switch off here that's going to solve the problem. So people often um, want to know, you know, the, the, the statement is usually, I want to know what's caused it. I want to know the underlying cause so I can sort it out. Um, and unfortunately, it, it acne doesn't work like that. There isn't just I never say never, but there's not usually one sort of single thing that you can just stop and, and get rid of the condition. Mm. So we have to manage that. Um, and thankfully, it's a condition where there are you know, different options. So if someone really doesn't want to take an oral antibiotic, um, we can they can try the contraceptive pill or they could try spironolactone. So we, we have the options. Um, but I find that... I find that discussing the causes, discussing the different treatment options, giving the pros and cons, usually um, people will come around because after all, they want the problem to get better um, as well. And I think it's just worth, it's just um, thinking out loud here. Um, do I have any tips on on what to do for this? I think it's, I, I, my consultations always go on for absolutely ages <laughs> because I do a lot of talking. You might be able to tell this from the podcast, but I find that sort of understand listening to what people's concerns are about that, that particular method of treatment, addressing it head on. If they're not happy to take it, I'm not there to push anyone into taking anything, it, you know, taking something that they don't want to take. Usually we can find an option if there's another option, if it's really something they don't want to take. But more often than not, I find that people are, will come around to taking the thing that you think is going to help the most mm. if they understand the rationale for it. I think that's a really long winded way of telling you that. <laughs> no, I think that was beautifully said. On that note, what are your thoughts on physical treatment approaches for acne in terms of evidence and also efficacy? So photodynamic therapy or, or blue light and, and chemical peels, do you utilize those approaches much in the in the context of the acne therapeutic space or, or not? Yeah, I don't use very much of these at all. That's not to say that um, they can't be helpful. Um, I think that's probably because of the way I was trained. So I trained in the national health system in the UK, um, where um, unless you were in certain very specialized centers, you didn't have access to these sort of treatments uh, for acne. So um, the sort of bread and butter were the topical therapies and the oral therapies that we've discussed already. And I found that I can usually get someone's acne better with those tools. Um, what's interesting is if we look at um, uh, treatment guidelines for acne, and we don't really have um, treatment guidelines in the UK, we often refer to the American Academy of Dermatology guidelines, uh, the most recent uh, uh, of which were published in 2016. And the evidence base for some of the um, uh, P 
pills, lasers, other energy-based devices are, are very much, um, the, the evidence base is very much smaller than for the oral and topical therapy. And I think that's because most people's experiences like mine, we're used to using the, the, uh, the um, prescribed treatments more. I would say they have a role where, um, I, and I've had a couple of patients in the last six months, I can think of who, who um, I've referred for those treatments. They're not something I offer in my clinic. I've got we sort of work as part of a multidisciplinary team with uh, with dermatologists who specialize in um, in laser. Um, it's when people might have tried all the other treatments and um, either they didn't tolerate something or they um, or didn't work for them. And we've worked through all the others. And then I would say it might be worth trying uh, one of these. But it is pretty rare. So I'm thinking of the patient I referred for a treatment called Enlight recently um, has a needle phobia. So um, she couldn't have isotretinoin because she, she couldn't um, submit for the blood test monitoring um, uh, and, um, and had tried it pretty much everything else beforehand and, and it hadn't, uh, it hadn't helped. So I said, well, um, you know, this, this would be a, the sort of occasion where that might be something that would be helpful. So I think it does have a role. And my the way I usually describe it to patients is that um, there isn't a great evidence base, but maybe that's because the studies haven't been haven't been done yet. Um, uh, and um, just because um, there isn't enough evidence to recommend them to everyone doesn't mean that they can't be helpful on a case by case basis. So for me, they would still be sort of at the bottom of the uh, of the recommendations list. But I do think they have a role. Does that make sense? It does. Perfectly so. You've already mentioned this with acne, time is the essence. And we know that early diagnosis and institution of appropriate management is key to to outcomes on many fronts. Um, in your opinion, when should someone seek help for their acne in terms of medical review? And why is it so important to seek treatment early? In my experience, a lot of people suffer unnecessarily for quite a long time before they get the help they need. Um, and it always sounds a bit dramatic to say suffer, um, but people really do suffer. Um, and it, it's really interesting. I might give a different answer now to something I would have said a few years ago. So I might have said, if your acne is mild, try something over the counter first. If it's severe, then you should seek um, help from your GP or a dermatologist early. But what's really interesting, something I've learned in the last couple of years from listening to a colleague of mine who's a um, specializes in psychodermatology, which is that the distress caused by acne is, uh, does not directly correlate to the severity of the acne. So some people with pretty mild acne, if they don't get the, the help that they need, will, um, will be more distressed by their acne than someone who, who has more on paper uh, severe acne. Mm -hmm. So my answer to that, to the question will therefore be, um, if the acne is not uh, affecting your daily life in that you're not spending loads of time looking in the mirror or feeling bad about it. It's not preventing you from going out and seeing friends, um, you know, going for job interviews, dating, etc. So if it's not doing any of those things to your mental health uh, and it's pretty mild, then try the over-the-counter things first. But if it um, if it's more than a few spots, um, I think it's always worth getting professional help early. And GPs are great; they see lots of skin uh, disease and um, and can um, offer reasonable first line advice. And if necessary, refer on to a dermatologist if things aren't getting better. I would say if you have nodules or cysts, the sort of deep, tender swellings, um, if you're getting scars or marks then you should definitely be seeing a dermatologist early because um, it's much easier to treat the acne than to treat the scars. 
Completely agree. Finally, diet and acne would love the lowdown in your opinion. As you as you know, there's a lot of speculation, perhaps misinformation about the role of diet and acne. We know that low glycemic index diets are a, a key, and there is some talk about dairy and, in particular, skim milk products. But would would love your your insight on this front. And as you say, it's it's one of the most commonly asked questions we we get in the acne arena. Yeah. So the first question is usually what's causing it, and the second one is what's going on with my you know what shouldn't I be eating? Um, yes. And poor people often have cut everything out of their diet, and they're practically malnourished by the time they turn <laughs> up in the clinic. Usually parents of teenagers coming saying he won't eat anything yes. um, so um so yeah it's a great question um i think it's pretty clear that um high glycemic index or high glycemic load foods um can potentially increase breakouts um and that reducing um glycemic index might um over a period of time so let's say 12 weeks or more uh, lower the number of breakouts that you get um, it's often not enough on its own, though, to completely stop the acne in its tracks. So it might mean a reduction in the number of spots you get, but often, um, if unless the acne is extremely mild, prescription therapy is still required. Um, dairy. I think this is this is an area where where advice might change um, over the next few years because it's a hot area for for research at the moment. Um, And the the, uh, advice um, from professional bodies has already changed in the last uh, five years or so. So um, it seems that dairy is a problem for some people, not everyone. Um, There's some speculation as to whether it's um, all dairy products that can trigger acne or whether it might just be milk and that things like yogurt and um, do you guys say yogurt or yogurt? <laughs> Heath is fine, but I like yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so um, so that um, yogurt and, and cheese might not be as problematic. There are also some studies showing that skim milk is more of a problem than whole milk. Um, I don't think we have that level of granular detail yet. But um, what I usually say to patients is um, if you limit dairy in your diet for six weeks, uh, sorry, if you look at your um, at your uh, diet over the next six weeks, if you see uh, a strong pattern every time you have dairy, does your skin break out badly a day or two after? If it does, then it might be worth limiting dairy. And if you do that for six weeks or more, do things get better? And if they do, then you probably do have a relationship between dairy and your breakouts, and it may be worth continuing to limit them. And then we need to talk about um, milk alternatives with calcium fortification. And I believe iodine is something also that people need to, 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 to get um, a dietitian friend of mine um, that was telling me about this recently, and then vitamin D supplementation as well. Um, but you know, if, if you don't see a strong pattern, um, if you then limit it for six weeks and things don't get better, it's probably not relevant to you and you can continue to have dairy. Um, there's no great deal of evidence for cutting anything else out of the diet to date. Um, and on the sort of adding things into your diet front, um, there seems to be some evidence that um, omega-3 might have an anti-inflammatory uh, uh, impact on the skin. So um, some would advise supplementing there um, or increasing the amount of omega-3 in your diet. Um, and there was also a recent um, uh, review that suggested that probiotics might be helpful as well. But I think we're still very early days on that um, and, uh, and more to come. 
Now, I did promise to finish on acne, but just briefly, you mentioned stress as another significant lifestyle factor that can flare acne. We can we know that stress can flare really any inflammatory skin disease. On the note of stress, there's no doubt that the COVID pandemic is a currently is a significant uh, source of stress for, for all. And in that setting, mask acne. I thought I would just quickly ask at the end um, your your take on mask acne and whether you see it as a as a phenomenon and what we can do to kind of assist or or, or prevent prevent it. Yeah, um, I think there's no doubt that wearing a mask is um, a unpleasant and b can um, can uh, irritate the skin or, or aggravate it. Sort of skin feels red and sore and uh, underneath the mask. Um, I think the whole mask knee thing, um, I'm not sure. A lot of patients will say to me, um, I, I'm breaking out more and I think it's because I'm wearing a mask. And often I think probably it would have been like that anyway, despite the mask. I'm sure the mask doesn't help, but I, I think it's sort of um, now blaming all spots on masks. Uh, and and I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that's right. I think... Um, we know that uh, that acne is on the rise. It has been over the over the past um, uh, a few years or few decades, even. So um, the number of people suffering with acne is increasing. I think the number of people um, seeking advice uh, or treatment for the acne is increasing as well, because hopefully through discussions like this, where we're talking about it more, and, and doctors are recommending that patients seek help, more, more are doing so. Um, I think the stress over the last year um, is uh, is certainly uh, must be playing a, a role here um, i haven't spoken to anyone who's not feeling some sort of stress or anxiety about the sort of lack of control over our lives and where things are going here um, so so i'm sure that has an impact uh, i think the mask um, can make it harder to tolerate treatment i think if you're putting retinoid cream on or benzoyl peroxide on your skin and it's feeling a little bit irritated anyway and then you've got a sticker mask uh, uh on over that and wear it for hours and your skin is hot and moist underneath there and um, uh, um that certainly doesn't help so my, my advice on that is um unfortunately we have to wear a mask we've got to do what's safest um uh sort of um if you're not in a medical setting um uh I would often suggest using a sort of cotton or silk mask, um, uh, which seems to be a little less um, sort of abrasive on the skin and, and kind to the skin. I recommend washing the mask every day or having sort of three. So one to wear, one to wash and, and a spare, if you like. Um, so not wearing the same one every day. Um, and then, again, just using really gentle skincare products and moisturizing loads to help keep the sort of skin barrier uh, as robust as possible. Um, so those would be my those are my thoughts on maskini. Sorry, you asked Perfect. a simple question. You've got a really long answer. <laughs> no, fabulous. Justine, thank you. This discussion has been insightful and on the whole brilliant, um, super informative. I want to know before we finish if you have any specific resources or go-tos that you can suggest uh, for, your, for for our listeners regarding regarding acne and also where our listeners can go to find out more about, about you and what you do in the acne space. Um, okay, so my sort of uh, go-to sites for information on um, skin generally are um, the Dermnet NZ uh, site. So that's um, that that uh, is a brilliant resource, I think, for all skin conditions, not just acne. Um, sort of encyclopedia of skin, if you like. Um, the 
British Association of Dermatologists has great patient information leaflets as well. Um, and I mean, this is this is a sort of semi plug, I guess. I, I just uh, um, updated their patient information leaflet on acne uh, within the last year, so um, I think it's I think it's pretty uh, handy. Um, yeah. So that would be another place to, to look for. Um, my own website, yes. Um, so it's drjustinecluck.com. Um, and maybe you guys can link to that from the podcast. I um, okay. I um, have a notebook there and um, I sort of uh, share information about uh, acne and all things skin, uh, skin there and also my Instagram, uh, my Instagram channel. Brilliant. To close, we have some rapid fire questions. So your top key takeaways from our discussion today that you'd want our listeners or acne sufferers to to walk away with? I think the first one would be if your acne is getting you down, if it's causing scars and marks, and if it's more than a few spots and it's not going away with over-the-counter treatment, then please see your GP or dermatologist early. There isn't a cure for acne, but there is really effective treatment. We can usually do something to help. Um, So that's my first message. And my second one um, is, I think it's not something we discussed, but I think it's something I do tell my patients is that when you start treatment, you've got to give it time. Um, Things won't get better overnight. Um, But if you persevere with treatment usually six or eight weeks later things are starting to look better they've turned the corner um, and um, and so don't give up hope if things aren't looking better a week or two after starting treatment um, and the same thing then goes with skincare routine so I'd say if you have a good skincare routine if you've researched it or it's been recommended by someone um, uh, who's experienced in, in acne um, follow it give it a chance to work don't chop and change and don't be tempted to um, add things, you know, a new thing in every week. Uh, uh, and if it's not working for you after six or eight weeks, um, then um, I would uh, I would take new advice or, or change things around. So I guess getting help early, um, giving uh, treatment a chance to work and being consistent. Perfect. What's one thing in your opinion that all women or all men for that matter who may be listening should do for their skin health? I'm going to be really boring, but I think it's the the, the most important one to me is wearing sunscreen. Yes, I'd have um, to say I agree there. Um, I agree. And what will you put on your skin tonight before you go to bed? Uh, so I will um, I will remove my makeup with micellar water. I will cleanse. I will apply. I'm using a, a, a triple combination uh, prescription treatment for hyperpigmentation at the moment. My, uh, my uh, melasma needs blasting. So uh, so I'm using that at the moment and then I'll follow that with a moisturiser. Beautiful. And finally, your favourite quote or motto that you live by, random and unrelated to oh dermatology. Oh my gosh, you put me on the spot there. And is it strange that only thing that comes to mind is the Nike set? Just do it. I love it. Just do it. That's definitely not me. I'm so conservative. So just do it. It's definitely not me. I can't think of one. I like that one. I like that one. Justine, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your expertise. We're truly grateful. I really look forward to watching your continued uh, growth in the space. Thanks again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. 